This is the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. If you're suffering from analysis paralysis, can't work out who to believe, hate dealing with agents, sick of your parents telling you where you should buy, you think the market's leaving you behind, or you're just worried about making a huge mistake, then you're in the right place. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums, but it's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience to share with you. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you need to get without missing a step. This is your first home buyer guide. If you'd like to know how we can help you buy your first home and avoid a whole heap of nasty pitfalls, head on over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au, and there you'll find free checklists to download, a free mini course on how to price a property, and our where to buy tutorial for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Absolutely. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring stuff, the disclaimer. (laughs) Everything we talk about on the podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken into account your personal circumstances so it should never be considered to be personal advice we always recommend getting the advice of a professional in their field of expertise now this could be a buyer's agent a licensed financial advisor or a mortgage broker depending on your needs the content you're about to enjoy is correct at the time of recording but things are changing on a daily basis so check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information episode we're going to take you through a real life buyer's journey. We have a special guest today, Bianca Chatfield, a champion netballer and contestant on the block. She's been house hunting this year and News Corp readers have been following her journey through a series of articles that she started publishing in November. Now, we're so keen to hear about the expected and unexpected hurdles that you face, Bianca, and the lessons you've learnt so far. Thank you so much for joining us today. No worries at all. I'm always very happy to talk property, not because I feel like I know everything, but because I feel like I learn so much every single time I delve into it a little bit. Oh, that's so true, isn't it? We're very excited to have you on, Bianca. We we watched with um, great anticipation when you did the block. Such an interesting process to go through. But before we get into your current home search, I'm really interested if you could give us a bit of background on your own property journey. What what did you start with? What did you do first? What have you bought? What have you sold? Where, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, if I take it way back, I grew up on the Mornington Peninsula. So, you know, a bit over an hour out of Melbourne and my dad was a builder and still is a builder. And so I grew up around renovations and I grew up with a dad and a mum who always bought property and never rented. And because they never <laughs> lived in the city, they, you know, they weren't fronting up all the, you know, huge costs that, you know, it does uh, cost you to live in a city. So from the moment I was young, my dad was always like, you need to stay for a house, you need to stay for a house. And and I guess we all thought my house would end up being down on the peninsula. Um, but then my sporting career took off and I wanted to get myself into the city. And so I did, to his disappointment, have to rent for a couple of years. But um, the first apartment that I purchased was when I was 25. Um, and that was Congratulations. Really, oh, thank you. It was a, such Great. a tough thing to 
to one, work out all the costs and the hidden costs that come with obviously buying property, but also just, you know, you start searching in areas where you think, oh, yeah, I really want to live there or I've been able to rent in this area, which mm. we all know doesn't necessarily equate to them being able to buy in that area either. Um, and I think my competitive nature um, from athlete life has always taught me around, you know, you have your parents telling you how much it's going to cost and can you really afford it and should you be moving out of home right now? And I was just like, right, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to make sure I can do it on my own and I don't want to have to be going back to mum and dad and asking for help. So I was pretty determined that when I did purchase my first place that I was going to make sure that I could afford it. Uh, and even if that meant working a million other little jobs just to make it work, I was just adamant that I wanted my own place. So that Tell was us my- a little bit about it. What was it? So I... Definitely at that stage, no one that I knew ever bought one better apartment. Everyone had two better apartments. So that was a huge thing on my list that it had to be two bedrooms. And I had a, was going to have a friend move in and rent off me. So um, it's kind of funny thinking about it now because it would be a no-brainer now to buy, buy a one better. But just at the time, it was not anything we thought about. So it was a two-better uh, in Kew, which is about 10 kilometres from the CBD in Melbourne. Um, and it was... An older place, but it was in a, like a boutique apartment block. So there was only, uh, I think, eight, and they were more like villa apartments than they were on, you know, stacked on top of each other. Um, and it was just a bit grey on the inside. So grey carpet, grey walls, grey kitchen. Like it was just, it was just a bit drab. Um, but the best, I guess, advantage that I did have is that I knew someone who rented in the block. So. I had ah, the inside info. Yeah, I had a lot of inside info. So I'd been looking for about 12 months and took ages. Ooh. And then eventually this came up. And because I had that insight, I knew how much body corp was. I could I could jump on it quite quickly. Um, but ended up securing it in a way that I'd not even thought of before. I'd been priced out of auctions and uh, we just went to this place and the vendor wanted to sell it straight away and had us all standing in the property A different. One was on the balcony. I was in the bedroom <laughs> and they basically said, we want to sell it today. The vendor's overseas. They need it gone. So just write down your best price. And oh, so it was almost like a, a, a boardroom, boardroom auction. bedroom auctions. A bedroom auction. <laughs> bedroom auction. That's they, a new one, Veronica. I haven't heard that one before. I love it. <laughs> uh, and they bought just a piece of paper over and it was like, right, Dan, I was just grateful that my dad was with me because I'd been looking at so many things on my own and I would have been just absolutely petrified doing all of that on my own. Um, but, yeah, I just went, okay, well, I'm sick of looking. I'm just going to write down the maximum I know that I can get and borrow and <laughs> meant to be mine, it's meant to be mine. And an hour later the agent rang and said, well done, it's yours. So, Did you ever find out how much more than the next person you, you uh, offered? No, I never had any idea, which is the scary part too. Some isn't things it? are best left unsaid, aren't they? How long yeah. did you own that one for, Bianca? Well, so I've lived in, I, yeah, lived in that for about 10 years and I only just sold that last December. Ah, so it how did was, it go? It, well, I paid, how much did I pay for it? I paid about 360 for it um, back then in 2007 and then I sold it for 695 in December. So, And you renovated it though? There was no more grey carpet? No more grey carpet. It was just the perfect place. <laughs> I'd imagine it was far more stylish than that. Yeah. <laughs> I was... I just, it was the place where I probably learned a lot of my own renovation skills. Like I learned how to paint there. I just 
could teach and tinker and who cares if I stuffed it up because it was my place. It didn't really matter. <laughs> um, so I just would do little things. I'd facelift things. I wouldn't do any major renovations. And so, yeah, after owning it for about 10 or 11 years, I was like, okay, I'm ready now to actually do it properly and then sell it on and then off we go. Fabulous. So you, you learned a little bit in your own place before you went to the block. And what, what did you learn when you were renovating on the block? Well, before that, actually, I uh, so I also bought a little investment apartment in St Kilda um, about in 2015, so about three or five years ago now. Um, and that's probably where I learned the most about renovating because I bought it a little one better art deco and it was all for investment purposes, but I wanted it to be able to renovate quickly and you know, you get three months or something where you're having to quickly do it before you put it out there and get it tenanted. So uh, I did that. And that's where I really learned around project managing and having Mm. everything happen on time and knowing how much it costs you if things are delayed in just Mm. getting any income for it and you're paying for your mortgage. And um, so, yeah, once I did that and I had a much more uh, true understanding around working with trades and getting that all organised and timing things pretty well. Um, <laughs> and then obviously 2018, yeah, that's when I uh, went on the block and I'd applied for many years because I just really wanted to do it. And um, that was just by far everything that I've ever done. It was like times a thousand. It was just so fun <laughs> and so hard. And But I loved it too. Like I was up for the challenge and I did it with a best mate of mine, Carla, who wasn't as so into renovating as I was, but I managed to convince her that. <laughs> How'd you convince her to do out? that then? That's not something you throw yourself into if you're not into it. God. I know. And she had, or she'd done like one reno, um, just basically of her own apartment. And she just started to go, oh, actually, I really like this. So as soon as I heard her saying that, I was like, right, let's do this one together. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Now, I'm always curious because, of course, the the time frames seem impossible on the block and certainly you get a lot of help with, um, you know, all the sponsorships and all the rest of it as well. But how much are you really doing in a week? I mean, can you really waterproof a bathroom and get it done in a week? Is it really (laughs) possible? I'm here to tell you 100% it is possible. It is absolutely possible, but you are pleading with trades to work in the middle of the night with you to get it done. And for us with a bathroom, especially like we'd have, it had to be waterproofing Wednesday. So you had to have the bathroom or the bathroom completely, the frames done, everything up ready to go so that you could waterproof on a Wednesday. And quite often that would happen late at night. So the tiler could start coming in um, on Thursday night and then starting the tiling process. And none of the painting or anything that needed to be done like that that we could actually physically do, we would have to then be up all night, usually Friday night, Saturday night, to be able to actually even complete that, the rest of the bathroom. Um, So it can be done, but, yeah, it's in real time. Judging happens on a Sunday for us on the show as it does on TV. We start a room on Monday morning. Um, Yes, you've got some ideas around what you might want to do and and pre-planned you know, just the trades coming in at different times once you know you're doing a bathroom. But other than that, it's actually real. And I was surprised about that too from when from doing it. I thought it must be all mopped up. and uh, But no, it's completely real. And I think that's why the show is such a success because it actually, it's ridiculous, but we're actually doing it. And you the must emotions be, are raw. Exactly. The stress and the, and the height and everyone's sort of going a bit nuts. You know, it's not manufactured. It's actually because you're sleep deprived. Yes. And they do say from the very start, we're here to make a TV show. We don't give you enough time and we don't give you enough money. Along the way, you'll win money. Along Welcome. Way, yeah, exactly. Enjoy. Drama. 
<laughs> yeah, so you do. Like it naturally happens. You get tired, you get emotional, you get you cry because things aren't going the way you think it's going to go. And uh, yeah, but I think that's the best part about it is that you can push through. You just have to be quite savvy the way you do things and, and make sure you've got a good team of trades around you that can help get the job done. It sounds like there's a lot of synergies with the actual buying process because a good team of advisors around you and getting things done in the right order, it's all sort of, it's all tying together and I didn't even set that up. Sounds very (laughs) familiar, doesn't it? But I'm sort of interested too, just to sort of quickly um, look back at the first property you bought, you know, you said that you didn't even know that a one bedroom was an option. You're sort of probably really lucky that you didn't, to be quite frank, because of course you could live in it longer and you had the flexibility of another to get extra rent to help pay the mortgage Um, and obviously something you could cosmetically fix and it was in a small boutique block and you had good due diligence because you knew somebody lived in there like and you bought in a good area it's a fairly fairly inner area so all these sort of tick boxes you know it sounds a little bit like they might have been sort of accidental to a degree but it sounds like you know you you've certainly lucked it by by making those good decisions whether you knew they were good or not at the time it certainly sounds like it's given you uh, a really good footing on the the a firm firm first rung on the property ladder you sold it before you buy you sold it and then you're out looking to buy how do you feel about the order of events in that regard <laughs> yeah well I actually was quite uh, again you know just you learn it in sport you learn it on the block but just just being prepared to is making you know I knew when I put mine on the market in December my partner he had a property in um, inner city as well so I knew that no matter what settlement that I had or could negotiate I was I was free to go whenever the owner needed it or the new owner needed it to be there so, so you had a game plan I had a game plan, exactly, and and I I need that for myself just to be able to go, okay. But I'd also spoken to a lot of agents as well who I'm good friends with now post the block about, okay, what should I do and how should I do it? And, and I didn't want to have bridging finance or try and make it work like that. I wanted to know how much I had to spend, so I wanted to sell first. So I kind of just weighed up all the options and went, not nah, sell first. And, I mean, no one told me COVID was going to happen. And no. I know. <laughs> oh, it would have been helpful if we'd all known that. We made different plans this year. I may have. So <laughs> I threw all my stuff in storage and I had an, I think I had a 20-day settlement, which was ridiculous. Oh, wow. Yeah. Christmas. That's actually quite short for Melbourne, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway. Mm. yeah. Was it a cash really buyer? Cool. And I think because <laughs> I knew... I was ready to go. So I was like, yep, sure. I'll chuck all my stuff in storage. I'll buy somewhere in the new year and then I'll be right. But yeah, I still haven't bought and it's been... Here we are in December. (laughs) Wow. So, okay. And obviously COVID got in the way and and being in Melbourne even worse because, you know, the protracted lockdown and and very little stock coming on the market. But what did you prepare yourself before selling as to what you're going to look for or did you sort of wait until you're sold and then say right now I'm going to now I'm going to look around and say well where do I want to live what do I want to, what do I want to live in yeah, I, I did have a fair idea about what I wanted to buy. I certainly, because I've only bought apartments, I wanted to try and buy something with some, you know, a house or a townhouse, something that was not too old and gross that I had to knock it down, but something that I would be able to be in and tinker with and renovate as I go, um, but definitely livable right now. Uh, and I wanted to live, um, move more Bayside. So in Melbourne, you know, Elwood and I was looking at Elstonwick and Brighton and 
I would. I love going to open for inspections just for fun on a Saturday. <laughs> I would do that whether I'm looking for a place or not. If yeah, I'm property looking, tragic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of knew what was around. I knew how much. I just didn't know exactly how much I'd have to spend um, before I'd sold. So I like doing my research in that way, but also you get very emotionally attached to properties. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, oh, I really love that and I really mm-hmm. love that. And maybe I don't want to renovate because that's already done. It looks so nice. And um, yeah, so I had a fair idea. But even now, I've definitely changed and I definitely don't want to overspend at the moment because, you know, I work in the freelance world and work stopped a lot for me in the middle part of the year. Um, so I also want to make sure that I just kind of narrow down, uh, I guess, the, the risk that I'm taking uh, and just make sure that no matter what happens next year, that I would be able to afford whatever I buy. Oh, Veronica sounds a little bit like our, uh, our slow down and revise step. It does, you know, for Bianca, I haven't sort of gone through our PACE system with you. We have a course, an online course, and there's 10 steps there. And the fifth step is actually after a lot of that preparation and getting out there and inspecting and doing all of that sort of stuff, you know, pounding the pavement, understanding what you can get, what the possibilities are, is to then sort of stop and recalibrate and we call it revise and correct. And and it sounds exactly like you're at that point now. Mind you, it's taken a while, hasn't it? I mean, you are 12 months notwithstanding COVID. Yeah. The challenge with that, of course, is that when prices are rising, as, as there's talk about them doing, there's becomes a lot of pressure on you, right, as to how long do you spend doing that? And then what are the consequences of spending a lot of time doing that? So I guess where are you at in terms of that revision? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that does have this level of overwhelm for me when I think, oh, I've sold at one point and now I've been out for 12 months now. And, you know, from what everything I'm seeing, every open inspection I go to, properties are getting snapped up really quickly because there's a lot of people who had sold before COVID and haven't been able to buy mm. uh, and not much stock on the market. Um, and so I've even been just exploring the option. It's not my first option, but exploring the option of the rent vesting, you know, investing on a property potentially down the peninsula um, and staying in the city but renting in the city. So I am exploring those kind of options as well um, just to just to make sure that I do have a backup plan if I can't get into the properties that I want or even looking a bit further out in different locations that for me I probably wouldn't have considered but they could be much better um, asset to purchase in terms of growth in the future. So that's where, again, I rely on the experts because I don't know really any of that, but I think that's the best thing I can do is surround myself with those people. And you're writing these articles. Are you finding that's actually making you slower in this process because you're, you, you've sort of now you've been, your eyes are being opened to even more alternatives and more options? Uh, yes and no. Like it's funny because when I originally the um columns were meant to happen at the start of the year but I feel like it's just this divine timing because everything I'm thinking about or going through tends to be the topic that I'm talking about that week it'll be about (laughs) okay let's talk to buyers advocates and agents and let's talk about what they do and how they can help and and it's right at the time where I'm thinking maybe that's where I need to go next maybe I do need that extra support so it's actually been really good to be able to stop all my other work and be able to focus a little bit on this world because um, I feel like I just scratch the surface all the time and I never really get to um, sink my teeth into it. So, no, I've been loving it and learning so much. It's a good point, actually, because, you know, we often say that to clients. It's like, you know, this is our full-time job and in a way to do it right, you need to make it your full-time job, you know. So I guess in a way you've actually found a way to do that, which is pretty cool. <laughs> well, sort of. And also the fact that, 
we don't have, I don't have the past experience. And that's what I find every single person, including you guys, the fact that you have the experience about the trends that have happened in the property market and what happens when it goes up and what happens when it goes down, like you've lived and breathed it for so long that that's what I find, uh, you know, us amateurs who come in and think, oh, great, this is such a fancy, funny world. Uh, yeah, you realise experience counts for so much more than we realise. We like to refer ourselves refer to ourselves as a collection of experiences. Yes, <laughs> the good and the bad, and it's cumulative. You know that the, it's not just like one ex, or one year's experience twenty times. It's twenty cumulative years' experience each of us have. Um, and certainly, you know, when you're out there dealing with agents, so I, it's sort of interesting what you say there about you know you're realizing that markets can change, there's ups and downs and the consequences of buying at different times and what can happen. And and I guess your eyes are sort of opened because of the conversations perhaps that you're having with people. And a lot of buyers, they do, they just sort of think with, with sort of blinkers on because they're like, well, this is what the market's like now. It's what it's always like. But it isn't, you know, and this is, this is one of the big risks of buying property is that if you're buying a hot market, then you've got to make sure that somebody's going to want to buy that property if it's a cold market. So it's one of our principles we talk about. Yeah, right. And I learned from you too, um, Veronica, speaking to you about, um, you know, just the amount to, of off-market properties that are around that, you know, your average buyer is looking online, finding the properties they like the look of within the pictures and off they go and they go to every open. There could be hundreds of people there or there might not be, but we're only seeing a small part of actually what's around and what's on offer. And I think that's where you do miss a lot if you're following that cycle of just online, looking online, going on a weekend and, and not really putting your feelers out to other options. So how are you uncovering those off markets? Well, I am talking to um, a lot of the agents that we work with on the block um, are quite good at sending me different options that they do have. I'm also, the more I've done these columns, the more I'm speaking to people and telling them what I want and getting out there and just putting it out there. This is what I'm looking for. And so I am having that come to me. But at the moment, I think in Melbourne, there's not a huge amount that are actually off market because, I mean, why wouldn't you put it on market right now? Mm. Everything's going gangbusters. Demand's pretty hot there, isn't it? That pent up demand that everyone's been sitting on for the last couple of lockdowns. Who knows how long it will last for or how long. I mean, I sure don't think it's going to drop, but I don't know how much it's going to be in this crazy bubble that we're in right now. So, um, yeah, I'm just relying on agents, um, on buyers, advocates, and just talking to everyone first. And then next year I'm going to be like, right, let's do this. How do you find dealing with agents? I guess you sound quite positive towards agents. A lot of buyers get very negative about agents and they really struggle with the whole quoting um, situation. Obviously, Melbourne's highly auction oriented and so therefore the quoting, um, you know, agents can quote down there as distinct to Brisbane, for instance, uh, or Queensland. So how are you finding that experience? Yeah, so, I mean, I think I'm in a lucky position in that I have a couple of agents who I'm very close to who are more friends than agents. So everything, whether it's their properties or not, I am talking to them, I'm sending them, I'm taking them with me, and they are, I'm lucky that they come through the property with me and they'll tell me what they think it is actually valued at or what they think it's worth for me to pay. Um, so, yeah, sort of working as a buyer's agent in a way for me. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what my go-to has been. I don't feel like I've really tackled anything on my own where I've actually been putting in um, a bid or at an auction without really knowing what the experts have thought about the property. Um, but I understand not everyone has that access or that close relationship with agents either. So, 
um, that's that's and I would go to them about everything too. So I'm a pain in their butt because I'm always like, hey, what, about <laughs> this? what about this? And what about this? So right I'm just lucky that I can return the favors for them in different ways as well. And that they get me to go and do some leadership talks with their business. And I'm like, yep, happy to do that if you can help me. So. <laughs> Trade off. How wonderful to have a personal advisor. <laughs> oh, exactly. I feel that's I feel exactly very lucky that they're there um, because otherwise I, I really would just be guessing. <laughs> And it's true. I mean, most people get to a point, I mean, you already said that when you bought your first apartment, the one thing I didn't touch on, luck or otherwise, was that you effectively threw all your money at it. Like you sort of gave up after 12 months. And that's, that's, that is sort of guessing still, isn't it? In the sense of, so I give up. Okay. If I can't afford it, I can't afford it. Yeah. (laughs) But also I think that one of the challenges is when you're, you're, you know, getting by or agents to help you is to, they'll get to a point where they think, oh, you're just a tire kicker. Mm. You know, uh, they she'll never buy, and yeah. that's something that obviously buyers have got to be quite wary of when they're when they're um, communicating with agents. And also, what I've learned too is being honest with agents to a certain point. Mm. That, you know, when they're taking down your details and you're leaving the property, and they and they say, you know, what did you think? You don't have to lie to them. You don't have to just rush over. Oh yeah, no, it was great or whatever. Just be honest because otherwise they'll harass you for the whole, you know, next couple know. of weeks on the phone the whole time. And rather than ignore all their calls, like they could find you a property in the future too if you're honest with them about what you're after and what you're mm. thinking. So I used to be like, I just want to be nice to them. Whereas now I'm like, I'm just honest and make sure that, you know, if I'm not interested, I let them know so they don't feel like they have to follow me up 10 times in the next two weeks. And, uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of people, there's a lot of fear around being honest with agents. Certainly keep, you know, a little bit to yourself. But, uh, yeah, be honest about what you think and they, they can help find other properties that they might have coming up that suit you better. I it's think such that's a, a key key point, point, Bianca. Absolutely. You know, because if you're not honest with them, then how can they possibly tell you about anything that's coming up for sale or anything they might be aware of or anything that might suit you, even if it's not quite on brief? And it, sometimes these things are worth looking at. And getting them to tell you how much things sell for too when there's yes. clothes or something. I'm all, you know, if they've come to me about the property, I'm like, can you let me know how much it sells for? And quite often they will mm. just, you know, on a text message because it's not going to go in the paper how much it goes for. Just so, again, you're collecting that knowledge along the way and getting a bit of a reading about how things are going. It's so true. Such and a good point. It's just the courtesy as well. It's just like you say, you're leaving the house, you just, and they know then they don't have to call you. That sort of saves them a callback call. And then they're calling you and it's demoral. I've been a sales agent. I know what it's like. You're leaving these messages. People avoid you because people don't like agents. You know, I think that, that having that sort of honest dialogue with people, with an agent is, is definitely in your favour. So it's, yeah. that's a really good tip. It is. And I Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I also find in Melbourne because we couldn't have open for inspections for Mm. quite a lot of the year, um, that everyone is just a lot more caring and compassionate about being able to come to a property. Like we almost don't take it for granted anymore too. Mm. So you're actually building better relationships with agents because there's a bit more of a care factor on both sides, um, which hopefully that lasts. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful to hear because we've seen it, um, you know, almost in the community in, in all sorts of walks of life, but I've certainly seen it uh, with, with um, people coming out of Melbourne, having that I'm so grateful to actually be able to come to 
into this house. Just on that, in lockdown, it must have been really quite frustrating for you being someone who was really involved and active and interested in in getting out there and seeing people and seeing houses and so forth. Were you able to use some of your time while you were in lockdown to get yourself better set up so that you could actually hit the ground running when you came out of lockdown? Uh, I think part, partly yes, but I think another thing that um, probably a lot of people were going through too is around if your work had been affected, what your pre-approval was before COVID was that's what I was the most worried about. Like, will I still be able to get the same loan, you know, depending on what's happening with my work? And um, so I was more talking to, um, you know, my <laughs> mortgage broker in that time where he is he was basically like right the best thing you can do right now is try and show as much as you can save and you know being able so you know when they are doing your loan and reassessing it that they actually can see significant savings over this period of time even though your earnings might have dropped slightly um and so i think that was probably one of the most beneficial things for me was actually to talk to him during the middle of it Mm. i couldn't you know we weren't actually seeking to actually buy the property right mm. then, but it was more just getting his intel on what was going on with the banks and loaning money and how that was changing as COVID was going on. Um, so, yeah, I basically was then the biggest tight ass I've ever been. <laughs> I was spending nothing <laughs> to not try and help myself when I got to this time. It's such a good point, though, because you needed to go back to your team, to your support team, to your broker, and, and actually rediscover what changes. You know, a lot of people don't even know that if they're on job if they ended up on job seeker or job keeper, that that may affect their ability to borrow or their capacity. So you're really proactive there and getting on the front foot and understanding how you, so, you could get yourself financially fit in this environment. And I think that there's just no, people have to understand that there's just no dumb question. When you are not an expert and this is not your world, just annoy people with all your questions because you find out all these random answers that you would never have thought about. And I think I've just learned that in athlete life is that we're constantly asking questions and getting feedback, whether it's good or bad, you're just constantly seeking it. And that's definitely what I (laughs) annoy everyone with now in the property world is I'm just like, I'll ask the most naive questions because I'm like, oh, well, what are they, what's the worst thing they're going to say is like, they're not going to answer it. Um, so yeah, throw it and out. People there. love to talk about property, so they're definitely oh, going yeah. to answer it. Yeah. So make sure you go to the experts and not just anyone who's having a good look at property. Oh, <laughs> good point. You know, one oh, of the- can we put that on a can we take a snap of that? <laughs> can that be our tagline? <laughs> oh my god! One of the very first things we we teach in the course is setting up your support crew, and it's like who not to listen to. There's everyone's got an opinion. It's like assholes, aren't they? <laughs> 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 I do have a book and then and then the cover it says shit, I so you know. <laughs> back on topic, Bianca. Back on topic, um, back on topic. Did you were you still tempted to look at real estate dom domain.com, you know, still look at the listing sites and see if there was anything coming on? Yeah, I was still looking and I've got all the alerts set up and so I was getting still sent some stuff, but you could really tell the properties that had been on the market a long time and still weren't <laughs> moving. Mm. Um, they are the ones that kept coming up on my feed all the time. And I was, oh, you know, sad than, for those owners. Yeah, I know. Tough times. Mm. And, I, on, and I didn't get into the, um, you know, looking at properties virtually either with agents. I just kind of sat still for a little while uh, and didn't really get back into it until a couple of months ago when things started to get back to normal. Um, but, yeah, I kept looking. I also just looked at other areas too just to see what was out there. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you had to be really mindful around 
the frame of mind you were in when you were doing it too. Because if it was in a stage where I was really worried or, um, you know, just really anxious about what I was going to do next and when the world was going to go back to normal, I mm. found it was quite a negative thing to be scrolling through realestate.com.au or domain. <laughs> Whereas see your future when, when you're in that kind totally. of frame of mind. So I think if you're just looking for the sake of looking without, you know, really wanting to jump on something, you've got to do it when you're in that kind of frame of mind that suits that too. So you're not feeling down and out about the decisions that you've made or what's about to happen next. Mm, sounds like you weren't tempted to buy a site on no. <laughs> I thank no, God for that. I imagine lady. somewhere. And it's, it's interesting what you say about that, that the state of mind that you're in, if you're starting to get a bit doomy and gloomy and starting to think, oh, my God, it's never going to get any better, I might have to buy one of these, you know, maybe that's how some of those got sold. Yes, exactly. Or I was thinking, all right, maybe I'll just look at another apartment. And then I was like, no, that's not what you want. Think about your negotiables and your non-negotiables that you kind of have set in place and you've got to keep going back to them. Well, that's got a great point because we saying? talk about the yeah yeah what were the agents saying during that time? Oh, uh, they were just they were just saying that um, with the low stock that expect it to come back on once COVID stops. Mm. That things people that will need to sell will sell now, but if people have a choice, they're not going to sell now. So just wait the timing out. And a lot of people thought potentially once we get into March next year, we're job keeper and that start to finish, that there'll be more properties that come on the market then. Um, but again, everybody's been quite honest in that if it's the right place for you, jump on it. Don't wait to know or try and predict what's about mm. to happen next because nobody knows. And, you know, even the experts are still like, we're not quite sure what's going to happen next now. So, um, yeah, I'm just waiting to find that right property. I, I think what we've certainly observed up here in Brisbane is that there are a lot of Southerners who are relocating up here and they're buying before they sell, um, which may give some sort of indication that would be some more stock levels coming on as those people divest of their, their Southern properties um, as a result of buying up here. People who have bought sight unseen, I might say, so glad you weren't tempted to do that. It's interesting, isn't it, that whole thing? And I think it's interesting that you're saying that the agents were just basically saying, look, you know what, it's wait, stock will come on, rather than trying to pressure you into, you know, really focusing on what they do have because that can happen too. And I think that that what you ultimately came to a conclusion of, which is, right, well, if you find the right property, then act on it. That's actually good advice regardless of what's happening in the market, you know. So this is a time of turmoil and great uncertainty. But, you know, the reality is that just because the pro right property is there now doesn't necessarily mean it will come up again in six months or 12 months. And when it does, it might be more money. So it is, it's good advice, I think, just focusing on the right property, of course. Yes. And also I'm in a fortune position too where I'm, you know, I, I have a safe a home to live in right mm, now. I'm not mm. having, you know, ideally I'd love to buy now, but I'm also okay just sitting still too. Whereas I understand there's not a lot of people that have that luxury either. They've got to quickly buy or quickly sell. So Get something to rent. Yeah, I'm just going to take advantage of probably the situation I'm in too and, and be able to wait that time out to find the right place. Yeah. And certain places, I mean, it's obviously easier to rent in some places than it is in others. So, um, you know, I hear rental vacancies are going up in, uh, sorry, down, down in Brisbane. They're certainly on the up in Mel Melbourne and Sydney. Here. So <laughs> regional yeah. areas, vacancies are right down. It's really difficult to uh, to rent. 
in a lot of places, just not Sydney, inner Sydney and inner Melbourne. <laughs> no, there's so many people. I'm in an apartment block now and there's so many empty mm. um, apartments. And I'm, I'm even just with my, you know, investors hat on and having my own um, investment apartment, you know, I was lucky that my tenant was in there and she had a job so she stayed in there and kept paying rent. But so many of the um, vendors around here would, must be thinking, you know, they'd rather not drop the rent and rather have someone else come in hopefully at some mm. stage because I'm just surprised there's so many empty properties and that um, tenants aren't willing to negotiate a lower fee to keep people in those properties. They're the owners, yeah. really interesting, Bianca. So you, you're largely seeing that in apartments as opposed to houses? Yeah, a lot of – and a lot of people who are – a lot of friends that I have in shared houses, they'd be like, right, well, now – because the rental market has gone down, they can get into a one bedroom on their own for the same amount of money that they were in a shared house. So right. they're just negotiating out of their leases because they can and, um, yeah, trying to find different properties uh, that suit them better now that, that I guess COVID is, I guess, the excuse that everyone can put across things, whether that's real or not. But it, I guess it had to be in place to support those people that were really struggling. Well, it's a good lesson for the rent vesters because you do want to make sure that when you, if you are going to choose to rent vest, that you do buy a property that is going to rent out and rent out well. And so supply, we talk about supply and demand in terms of, you know, when you're buying a home, you've got to think about buying a property that's scarce where there's not loads and loads of loads of supply. And the same goes for when you're rent vesting. And we talked about investment fundamentals a couple of episodes back, Megan and I, and and this that's that's where it plays out. We, you, we never say you need, should be buying for yield or buying for the rental income but you need the rental income to actually mm. pay your mortgage Perfect. so therefore the scarcity and all those same principles apply in buying a good uh, investment property now through this whole process that you've been through and you still haven't bought let's face it you know we're interviewing you this is the journey conversation and and a little bit of hope for those who have not yet bought their first property so this is sort of like you know opportunities that you have in the future if you do buy well in the first place and actually grow in value and then you've got more money to spend when you upgrade um but obviously you're going through the process now and do you, what do you know now that you didn't know as a first home buyer? Oh, um, I think a lot of what we've really spoken about. I think the things that stand out for me though is the what you want in a property, not is necessarily what you're emotionally connected with, but what is also going to help in the future, what other people are going to want. So, mm. you know, if I could justify living on a railway line because I'm like, I'll be fine, like that won't affect me, knowing that when I go to sell that, other people are going to have issues with that if that's how I've been able to get into that property easily. Um, and so I, you know, I feel like when I bought my first place, I could have easily opted to go for something smaller that was a bit closer to the city for the same amount of money. But instead, I wanted a huge living room area and I wanted two bedrooms that were significantly bigger than like the, the mass development apartments that have all the shoebox size, everything. Um, and I'm six foot two, so I feel like I need just a big place. <laughs> you need some ceiling height and natural <laughs> yeah, light. I need a high ceiling and all of that. <laughs> so I think just those little things were really key for me too to make sure that what I bought, even though I didn't know everything, but what I bought actually meant that it suited more than just me in the future um, so that when I eventually went to sell that I knew that it would be a, a you know, a popular, a popular choice and something that other people would want to live in too. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I'm very, very glad that I didn't give in and go to one of those little shoebox apartments that there are all over Melbourne because I know I wouldn't have stayed in it for half the time that I stayed in my Q property. Yeah, yeah and you and you 
probably wouldn't have made as much money when you sold it either. Mm. And also, um, too, I, I think it's the lifestyle thing too. Like I, as an athlete, I would be traveling around the world all the time playing netball. So I needed something that was secure and I could lock up and leave and not worry about because I could have been gone for three months at a time with nobody in the property. Um, and then when you look at that, that was my reason for wanting a secure property. But anyone, any first home buyer, especially any female, that's something that they're so conscious of is mm. having a property that's safe and secure for them and their car and whatever else. So, um, yeah, I think that was another thing that really was important to me but it turned out to be quite good for everybody in the end. Some great decisions in there. Yeah. When, when you sold it, like, you know, what was the process? Did you put, take it to auction? Uh, so, yeah, I worked with our block agent on it and uh, <laughs> we had it going to auction. Um, and just in, I don't know if it was just in Melbourne, but at the end of last year, everyone tells you don't sell before Christmas, like try and sell before December. And um, there was another apartment in my block that was up for sale. And we, I was talking to the owner quite often. He was like, I'm going to go in September, you go in October. <laughs> and, I, and I kept thinking, do I want to go second, knowing that my property had been renovated? And what did the block like, teach you about the order of taking yes, and I was like, to auction? Rest again, the whole auction order. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. he's kept getting dragged out. And anyway, so he ended up going in um, November and then I put mine on the market two weeks into his sale campaign and we went to auction two weeks after his had gone to auction. So I stood at his auction and I was just taking like sneaky photos of everyone that was there and everyone was bidding and I was like sending it to my agent going, have, you, have these guys come through my property? And God. <laughs> it, was, I was, it was ridiculous. I was so... Stalking everybody. Obsessed. <laughs> and then ended up being, because his was a popular property and there was a lot of, there was a bubble of people just wanting to get in, um, then they we actually sold before auction. So we just had a boardroom auction and uh, ended up going, I think, about two weeks before our auction date because he's gone to auction that Sunday and everyone was like, I missed out. You I just collected, that already. collected the buyers and popped yeah. them into yours. So second ended up being uh, the best place to be. Did and, it? And did you get uh, more I money? I sold for about five grand more than he did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, which his was ground level and I was like the next level up. So he had a backyard and everything, but... Mine was renovated and, you know, a bit of block marketing behind it as well with everyone uh-huh. interested to see what you've done in it. I was like, yeah, sure. I'm happy to put it out there if they want to see it. What a classic. So, I mean, there's great fundamentals in there. We do talk all the time about thinking about your future buyer and there's not enough people that do. And I think what you've talked about there is that buying the, the shoebox closer into the city where there's there's more of them, they're, they're, you're going to outgrow it really quickly, but also there's... The issue, which we talk about a lot, which is um, uh, first-home buyers are often incentivized to buy brand new and then who's going to buy it? Who's going to be the second buyer for that? So I think that's an excellent um, excellent uh, insights into how important that is and how it actually translates down the track to having competitive a competitive situation. We get people fighting to buy the property. That's, mm. that's the holy grail. Well, it is, isn't it? But the one thing I probably didn't consider and that I would say would be, you know, something that's probably very important is that where I bought in queue, I, I'm a driver. I'm, I'm never on public transport. I've always been, you know, someone in a car. So where I purchased was perfect for me as someone who drove, but it certainly isn't that easy in queue uh, for public transport users. Mm. So that was probably one thing that I oh, did interesting. when I purchased mm. it. 
And I was lucky that there were people, you know, with cars who wanted to purchase that one in the end. But, yeah, it it, it always kind of sat in the back of my head that it was never close to public transport or not walk, like, you know, it might have been a kilometre away, but that's a lot for a lot of people. Mm. So It is. Mm. I would think that definitely put that as a priority in the future, especially for an investment property for renters. Did you get that feedback from the agents throughout the campaign? Oh, no, but I think I would have raised it with him at the start. And he, he just seemed to think there was going to be enough buyers around anyway at that particular moment mm. that we were selling, but didn't mean, you know, had I sold earlier or a few years earlier, it could have been a bigger issue. So I think I was just lucky in the end. That so you think worked. timing worked in your favour mm. a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, mm. Yeah, and that's something they talk about, that those big issues that can get in the way in a slow market that can make buyers prioritise another property. So it sounds like the timing being in a warm market was definitely in your favour. Now, how has writing the articles um, changed your views or actually helped you learn and, and, and potentially made you do things differently? Oh, so the first column I really focused on like the market at the moment and what's going to happen post-COVID. And then the next one I was talking to, you know, all the finance experts. But um, to be honest, the one that's really made me think more and more about is the use of a buyer's agent or a buyer's advocate um, to support you in the process. Um, and that the and I just assumed, and I don't know, I just thought it was for the elite of the world. I'd seen all the buyers <laughs> advocates at the block auctions and got to know them well. But That's I don't think the know, world. they've got millions and millions of dollars that they're paying mm. you know, for these properties. <laughs> and I think the more I've dug into it over the last six months and the article that we wrote recently, which goes in um, this weekend, the 19th, Saturday and the 19th of December, um, is around that, how much an advocate and agent is just that person that can be by your side. And I speak about it as being like a coach in a sporting team. You'd never be Mm. an athlete without your coach who's able to look at the little things that you don't, prepare you for a game, set you up with a game plan. And that's exactly how I think, yes, that's perfect for me right now. That's where I want to be and that's what I want by my side because I want to make a good choice and not just, I want to make a great choice and not just a good choice in what I actually go and buy. Excellent. Well, what I will do is, well, we'll put the link for that article into the show notes for this episode. This episode won't go live until tw- early 2021. But uh, so, you know, even by then, there'll be some developments, no doubt. So people will be able to yes, actually read crossed. your articles and read, <laughs> read your journey, read about your journey. Yep, perfect. Happy to update you. Hopefully it'll be positive, great news in the new year at some stage. I think <laughs> and it will. you also it approve like of it... what I do buy and pay. Yeah, that <laughs> I love Look, it casting like judgment it... from afar. <laughs> <laughs> Made a lot of really good decisions along the way, but also picked up a huge amount of knowledge along the way. And that's sort of, you know, that's certainly what I'm picking up is that, that you've, you've been able to pick up knowledge without making too many mistakes, but you've been able to recognize when you, when you, you know, picked up a nugget of gold that you can take forward um, and it can help you make a really good decision going forward. So congratulations on that. It's a really interesting journey that you've taken so far. Thank you. And like, like you said, I think it was your first chapter when you talk about your support crew. We talk about that in the leadership space around personally having mm. your own support crew, let alone when you are trying to make one of the biggest purchases of your life. You know, when do we spend this huge amount of money on something mm. and not actually have people guiding us? Um, and so, yeah, that to me is just a non-negotiable in all of our worlds, no matter what we're doing, is have those p- great people who can stand by your side and support you through it. 
Excellent advice, Bianca. Thank you for being part of of our podcast today. We've enjoyed learning about your journey. We've enjoyed listening to some of the lessons that you've learned along the way and how you survived COVID. And we are very much looking forward to watching and and learning how you progress and, and what you end up buying. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I shall go back and listen to more advice from your other podcasts and maybe I'll to keep gathering my intel. Fantastic. <laughs> All the best. Thanks, guys. In this episode, we sort of fast-tracked through effectively the 10-step online course of first home buyers. And if you'd like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, which is homebuyeracademy.com.au. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be very much appreciated. It'll help others find us as well. And thanks for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.